Welcome everyone to What the Force, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in the Outer Rim. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host, and with me is my good friend and yours, Alex Kane. How's it going? Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been a lot. We, of course, didn't record for the last week because I was at Star Wars Celebration, which was amazing. And now we've got two episodes to cover, although we might be a little bit briefer on these ones. Uh, we'll catch up anything that we felt like we missed for the finale. Sound good, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, You got kind of like a, a trio of episodes that are very thematically, well, presumably the third one is going to, the finale will fit really nicely and, and guns for hire kind of leads into chapter 23 really well so yeah we can touch on these again for sure yeah if we miss anything or if we feel like we need to come back mainly because yeah. i am recording obscenely early in the morning and you're recording very very late at night and uh we're yeah we're be... not at our optimal right now but <laughs> you know it's uh it's the world <laughs> we're we're yeah. uh we're in different time zones right now and it's uh it's a whole thing all right let's get going so we have uh guns for hire which of course is uh this uh epic episode that i uh felt like was made in a lab for me <laughs> how did you <laughs> like it <sighs> well it's, i you know i i'm definitely no longer the first person to think this but uh it was very much like a clone wars episode in live action which i appreciated a lot it oh, feels yeah. like bryce is very good at that bryce is very much in the mode of the clone wars when she directs um and this one maybe more so than ever before oh yeah yeah this episode really touched on many of the things i love about star wars there's sort of a, a genre-esque idea about the episode like it it sort of is following this like cop procedural overall um but there's also mm -hmm. like some sim thematic elements about how we move past uh conflict and how do we build uh, a society that is better than it was before and it's repeated yeah. multiple times in this same episode which is really interesting so it's it's done first with the corns and the moncal it's done on plazier uh 15 and then it's done with the mandalorians um and in the end the the movie that this episode reminded me of the most was zootopia oh interesting i saw that when it was like new on dvd like a million years ago uh, i yeah. Sort of, yeah, it, <laughs> it definitely it was that kind of like omelas theme or like 1960s star trek idea of like we have this perfect utopia except for this like one footnote <laughs> that's not yeah. so great uh which yeah. i love i love that kind of star trek story um i you couldn't know, think uh, of any felt... other story but like that but yeah yeah you're right like it, it felt very star trek it felt very um like there's a paradise but except for these this one thing of this holdout concept right yeah I, I thought of that like very strange Star Trek episode where like mm. they got rid of they got rid of war I think and then the solution was like that they play out the battles as like computer simulations and then I think they like 
they might like kill off the people who died in the simulation after Horde or something like it's like really absurd <laughs> and on the nose but uh you know they it, it, it's a yeah. kind of fun episode where they're playing with big ideas that star wars sometimes plays with but is is sort of shy about um i love that when they do that stuff with the droids uh there's like with this episode and the following episode there are pairs of things there's like you have the star-crossed yeah. lovers and, and you know have like the the fish the fish species that are like yeah an anidala Raylo thing and then you have the same thing with like lizzo and jack yeah. Black and uh, and like uh, technically din and bow right and Bo, yes. Yeah. There's a lot of echoes uh, all across these two episodes and this notion of walking between worlds and... Yeah, and like finding uh, a middle way between sort of split people together. That is like yeah. what everything like every Raylo ever wanted out of Star Wars. And they put it into yeah. a same episode three times. Yeah. What? And this, this, <laughs> the, the, yeah, that idea of like stopping physical conflict. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh, it's good stuff. There, There's like too much plot and things packed into these two episodes for me to possibly remember everything. But it's... Uh, it's yeah, a lot of uh, just playing with big ideas that you know, like we sort of see the the little like biblical echoes or like the religious commentary in the show mm-hmm. going all the way back to season one. But these two episodes get into to some meaty little bits occasionally, which is fun. It absolutely uh, is. Yeah, uh, let's dig into that that intro scene with uh, Captain Shagoth, our Quarren captain. <laughs> yeah, in, has, the, uh, in the very beginning. Yeah. Um. So she's uh she's just a captain, and she thinks that she's being approached by an, an ex imperial. So kind of introducing more of that idea of the imperial warlords running protection, right? So like charging people for protection for different quadrants, and she's more than willing just to be like, "We'll pay you," you know. I'm not willing to fight at all. Um, and, uh, it turns out it's actually Axe Wolves, uh, who's been hired by the Mon Calamar Viceroy to return the Mon Calamari Prince, uh, who is her, uh, lover. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Shigoth is a, uh, Cthulhu Mythos. Yeah. Um, basically great elder. Which is an interesting tie. Uh, I haven't thought about Cthulhu Mythos since Willow. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, what's going on here? I think this is just like a sort of like a, a tableau almost like or like a mini, mini concept. I don't know that these characters will come back. I think it was just a way to introduce Axe wo- Wolves, those Mandalorian mercs, and that really they're very loyal to whoever pays them. Yeah. Right. I think yeah, that's the, important that they're very loyal to whoever pays them. Interesting. You so don't the think I- so? The idea that like when, if Mandalore is thriving, then they'll, <laughs> they'll stay, stay home and, and protect the castle. Maybe. Uh, uh I don't know. I, I, it, they went through a lot of effort just to prove that um, this group of Mandalorians uh, yeah. can't can't be, I guess, 
bought by the highest bidder, but will stay loyal to whatever they've agreed to do. Oh, yeah. It's like that good, the bad, and the ugly scene where he he repeatedly says, like, once I'm paid, I always carry the job through. That kind of, like, very Western, like, uh, moral thing. Yeah. And so, like, this gets into, like, this episode and next episode, but... um. I just, it struck me as super interesting that they go out of their way to do an entire scene to prove Axe Wolves will do whatever he is like agreed to do that he has been paid for. So what if Gideon is paying him? Oh, interesting. Okay. Since he's got, they've got that light cruiser or whatever, like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's interesting. Well, it's just, you know, and I, I don't know what's going to happen in the finale, obviously, but um, there's a lot of reaction to what happens in the second episode. And Mm. people are assuming just because the title says something, which we have experience with John Favreau writing titles of episodes that don't make sense, um, that it's like the... It's like like Hux Hux from The Rise of Skywalker. I'm the spy, and everyone's like trying to figure out uh, who the multiple spies are because it's plural, and they're they're like, who is it? Um, And you know, it could be Axe Woes if if the plural actually is something that we need to consider. Yeah, interesting thought. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, people pointed out the clone tanks. Like near the beginning of the episode, I think that you kind of see in the background. Everybody's like, you know, oh, who's who's been cloned? Assuming they're clones. I mean, we kind of get I mean, the vibe that they are. Well, in this episode, um, I think it's at. Oh, sorry, no, it's at the beginning of the the second one. Sorry. Uh, oh, um, okay, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that could just be like they've collected separatist like stuff, right? Uh, sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's get back to this episode. So yeah, yeah. our captain, Shagoth, says goodbye to uh, the Mon Calamari prince who is returned to his family, presumably. I want more of this story. I love it. It's uh, yeah. high drama. I love weird aliens and love. Let's do it. Where's the comic? Where's the where's the mini special? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> the me, voices me, of these these actors have great voices. Yeah. <laughs> like absolutely. it really sells the... You know, obviously, like the Return of the Jedi aliens are, you know, sort of like fun and absurd in Star Wars, but like the uh, the performances are great and completely sell. I I'm obsessed with the fact that her like corn face tentacles like rubbed all over his face. Yes, (laughs) that was cute. It was good. It's great. Um, yeah. Anyway, so they um they returned back, and we have um Mando and Bo arriving. You know, going towards Plazier Five because fifteen, uh, because that's where uh, our good uh, Mandalorian mercs have been basically stationed as a paid for army. Which is like, how rich is this planet? Yeah, this planet has a lot of money. <laughs> It uh, it definitely made me think of like when I went to Disney World as a kid, like um, like the Epcot Center and like the monorail. Um, oh it, yeah, like you know, tom- Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. Yeah. yeah, Tomorrowland is in my notes. Like it's very much that vision of like the perfect uh, crystalline city. Uh, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. and I th- I thought that this. Um, 
this whole concept of the city itself where they're basically taking old technology and giving it new purpose, new life um, compared to what the Republic is doing, where it's taking all of the ex-imperial stuff and like literally destroying it um, to be really, really fascinating. It's like, you know, is there a new life for this for the droids, for the technology. Um, we're getting a reuse of the technology as well with the Mandos taking over uh, the Imperial ships as well. There's a there's something symbolic happening there where compared to the uh, New Republic that can't even touch like perfectly good technology or resources that were used by the Republic because they're somehow tainted. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, we've seen these live action Star Wars shows do stuff like this before where we're like, they're saying something about you know, like the mythos of Star Wars and like the, yeah. <laughs> the business of, of, of doing you know, Disney Plus and whatnot like with the, um, the Naboo Starfighter that is kind of unrecognizable by the time it's done. It becomes sort of like you know, just a Mando hot rod, but uh, made from George's parts, so to speak, or Doug Chang's parts. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's always fun when they, they're playing with all these different droids and, and people are spotting like things from like the expanded universe and things from like some obscure comic and whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, and and like it, it comes down to more than just Easter eggs. This one actually like has a story element to it, which I really, really mm -hmm. appreciate Um, when it can go beyond just, you know, hey, it, you know, the the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme, <laughs> you know, there's right. actually a reason all of these things are in this episode. Right. Um, it's like you there's like life cool. beyond uh life beyond your uh military service and things like that right that idea that uh yeah you know well like like you can have a second like life yeah yeah um so uh bo-katan uh grogu and din Djarin, uh are all uh arriving on the planet and they are taken off to the side forcibly and put uh in to have an audience with the duchess and um captain bombardier captain bombardier which is a a name that is so on the nose for me <laughs> uh this of course is lizzo and jack black which i am dead i am i'm i'm shocked <laughs> i'm in love with the fact that lizzo and jack black are now characters in the star wars universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're canon. Uh, yeah, yeah, like it, I love how you hear his voice and you just instantly hear like, You're oh, like, my oh God, yeah, it's that's Jack Black. <laughs> that's Jack Black. But um, what's oh man? Okay, so let's talk about Lizzo first. So she sort of is like a stand-in for Bo's family. Um, she, yeah, because she's, kinda, she's a duchess, the headdress and stuff, yeah. and the headdress, and she she's like parallel to Satine as like this sort of leader who's very peaceful and um, was royalty, but yet has stepped aside to have democracy in place. So she ends up becoming sort of like um, a constitutional monarchy in a way. And then we have Jack Black, whose character Captain Bombardier, Bombardier being, of course, the famous um, 
Canadian uh, company that makes jets and, uh, you know, airplanes, but also uh, was involved as um, making, you know, military, um, providing like, you know, jets and, and planes for the military as well. So like technically like a military contractor in, mm-hmm. in Canada. And gotcha. so these names are like on the nose for sort of what they're trying to say here <laughs> and how it's paralleled to Din and Bo. Yeah. Din and Bo. And then, yeah, also like you had that portion of like Mandalorian society and in, in Satine's day. That's like, you know, yeah. we want to, we want to be like artistic, more, you know, well, uh, no, and both yeah. things exist in the culture of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And they've said, they've shown that since like rebels and they've shown that in Clone Wars, um, um, that there is there's more to the Mandalorians than just fighting. And you and I have talked about this like throughout the story and I've talked about it online that like I'm frustrated that we only get one view of the Mandalorians in this, that you know, oh, weapons are their religion. Well, yes, that's great, but also they do do art and to have like a balanced society they need to have both of these aspects. But since they're only on the run right now, they only have the one. Yeah. Yeah. Sabine was the first like Mandalorian character that I really connected with. I feel like <laughs> because of the art thing, the painting and graffiti, I loved that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was fresh. Yeah. I, I do like how they're sort of working elements of rebels into yeah, the show, they, but they've, they've saved a lot of it too for future shows. Yeah. I liked how um, there's so many cool aliens in this scene. <laughs> like they're all just like hanging around, and and uh, Jack Black's like, uh, I hope you like secretions. <laughs> <laughs> sip sip in a, in the most Jack Black way. They sit down and they're they're having dinner and they're explaining sort of their you know like what's going on with their city and their planet, and you know we have that. We have the frog people are sitting at the table, which is so cool. And Liz was like, um, can I hold the baby? And Grogu's, or um, Din's like, no, he doesn't, you know, like to be held by other people. And Grogu's like, I'm going to Lizzo. Who wouldn't? Yeah, like somersaults through the area. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting more of this thing that I, I really wanted first season, which is... Um, almost like Grogu becoming more independent in these two episodes. Oh yeah, big time in the the next one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, really fun. Yeah, it it is a lot of fun. Um, and we sort of have this. Uh, I don't know. It it it's really cool how Jack Black calls Bo Princess Kreese. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and, like yes. just sort of like keeping on reminding both of them where their background comes from. And this is where like, there's like almost, um, again, this like, uh, Zootopia concept where Din and Bo come from very different backgrounds. That's, that's played up through the episode, but they end up being, um, and sort of like this, this cop procedural where they're investigating crimes, like the detective film noir feel, uh, is throughout this episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Both these episodes play with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're told, uh, there's a problem with the droids on the planet and, um, they're told to go and uh, speak with Commissioner Hellgate, who's played by Christopher Lloyd. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, 
uh, yeah, he's really fun in this role. It's it's reminiscent of Tim Blake Nelson in Minority Report, like the the one guy at the like control panel who who sees all and has the switch and like just like an outsized yeah. amount of power for like one weird little guy to have, <laughs> but it's really fun. We talked about how there was a lot of Philip K. Dick before, and it's yeah. like coming back. Did, does Favs like Minority Report? <laughs> yeah, that's true. We yeah, we've talked uh, maybe like two other episodes this season. We've mentioned like Philip K. Dick stuff, and then here we get the yeah. I thought this was a very Minority Report scene, his introduction, and then also we get the uh, the sound effect of the like police hover vehicle. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty pretty soon in the episode as well. This is this is an episode about uh, showing the competence of the, both these characters, especially Bo seeing how good din is at everything that he's like come across and i mean primarily first season like we're not getting a lot of like what was din good at in the second season it's all like first season stuff that's coming back to us um Mm -hmm. i found it interesting that the society is a direct democracy which is like the idea that citizens directly vote on everything right yeah there's not like all this corruptible yeah exactly well I mean, you know, there whether is, that's it, whether that's easily maintainable, having everybody have an opinion. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. Um, direct democracies are always really fascinating and can be enabled by technology. I really it's a fascinating concept to look into. Like basically you vote for everything on your phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's uh, a novel by Tobias Bakel. Uh, what was that called? I think it was called Sly Mongoose. And there was like a basically a society that lived like in a floating city, kind of like Bespin, like above a gas giant. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like it's basically like the science fiction version of like, you know, everybody on Twitter tweeting out what they think should happen. And then that's like, okay, it's been voted. This is what we're doing. And I don't know. It's kind of funny. It, it sort of pokes holes in the, you know, yeah, the if, of that, if this but. was a Star Trek episode, this, uh, the director of democracy, there would be some sort of fatal flaw about it. That's never brought up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a good episode to like set up future like philosophical problems. I don't know like it, that it goes super deep because it's already got like so no. many things that it's juggling. Like it it's like the the side quest that you go on while you're trying to do another side quest before you get to the main quest in like a <laughs> video game. But, uh, That's you know, yeah. I, I do yeah. love the, the, like, you know, some of the expository dialogue where they're talking about like how, because mm. they're not allowed to have like a formal military, like their resources go to like just helping their citizens and like allowing them to not work and stuff. And then, uh, you know, immediately you find out well there's ugnots who keep the droids going and the droids do the work and so it's like yeah well, yeah somebody's working you know or the you've got the surveillance crew monitoring the you know computers and so that yeah. you know the, the society is a lot yeah there the society is still a lot more complicated than what the people who are kind of enjoying like just the you know the pleasures of the society um there are still people who keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and with that, like Din and Bo go and, um, 
speak with the Agnots who worked on reprogramming all of the droids. And um, first Bo insults the droids and then Din is able to <laughs> use his quill speak um, to um, sort of sit down with them and uh, convince them to help them and talk about like you know hey where this is gonna happen again and it was it was really nice to kind of see din's um like skills with the agnots come back yeah you know yeah he's somebody who sort of mindfully and i mean obviously he can be a jerk about droids or certain other things but like he he's very good at interfacing with cultures in like a thoughtful kind way and uh like seeing him do that you know he's someone who came from like one society that was sort of destroyed and then which we don't know all that much about i guess and then had to sort of integrate into mandalorian culture uh and and, and sort of rewire like how he interacts and things like that and you know it's not like he was born with that helmet on his head and yeah you know so um yeah it's that kind of extends to his interactions with you know uh the bounty hunters guild and and grief karga and the jedi stuff and boba or yeah the ugnots mm-hmm. especially i love it yeah no and he also yeah he did that with the sand people as well oh right yes right yeah. the they you know like he seems to be like this person that's um very open to accepting others and trying to you know be respectful of their cultures um which is really great and i i do like the how they were hired because um sort of like uh, uh jack black is like we're a pluralistic society so we accept that yes weapons are your religion <laughs> Yeah, so good. It's like a way around it. Um and certainly there's like um it, like when they when they deal with the droid and he and he kicks the 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 droid to get it to like fight him. Um it's it, it's like it, it felt like a good cop bad cop pretty much from this point on. <laughs> Cuz like sure. Din Din being like you know the bad cop and Bo being like the good cop because he's the one who's like she's like questioning the the b1 battle droid he's like kicking them <laughs> and then that theme of like them playing those roles continues almost the whole episode it's found out that he had a this one droid had a spark plug in it or a spark spark plug and it's like a a, a thing from a droid bar called the resistor i'm obsessed with this place. oh yeah the, it was so cool like they walk <laughs> in and it's like such a great comedic moment where they all sort of like stop like a record and just stare yeah uh, i mean it's like very uh anti a new hope with the cantina yeah we don't serve like, their kind here and <laughs> we don't all we, their kind we don't we don't serve those fleshy things here why are you here um yeah but it 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 turns out that destroyed bar sort of feeds all its patrons all the same thing which is nepenthe a sort of like fluid that helps sort of refresh and helps their um code and and um helps them sort of stabilize i guess um do you know what nepenthe is uh no i didn't look that up it's actually from mythology. Um, nice, nice. It is. Uh, it it it's it sort of translates to be a drug of forgetfulness, and it's from the Odyssey. It's something that um, 
Helen of Troy took basically to forget her woes. A lot of people theorize that it was probably opium. Mm. This is like an opium den nice. <laughs> for Troy's. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big theme of of post-war depression like yeah. across these two episodes like the the ghosts of the clone wars are like ever present in these two episodes and and then also like the the empire and you know rebels right so like it's also yeah. like whatever and 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 this comes down to the idea that like as much as like the republic tries to destroy the shadow right literally like destroying this this old way of being with the with the empire um these things still exist people still remember right so you have to figure out a different way to uh, work through these things in your society i like how the the bartender droid is like you know many of my patrons are very worried if these um sort of malfunctions keep on continuing um we, we will all head towards the scrap heap um whereas we found a new life here a new um you know a second chance you know organics lives are so so short um you know it's nice to still have a purpose <laughs> yeah i'm obsessed with this place <laughs> it's so good yeah it's um it, it like it's all about of course, the pluralism thing feeds into this too a little bit, which is like, you know, I took a lot of humanities classes in college and the, all these religious scholars of like the 20 and 21st centuries, they seem to agree that like the only way for religion to continue to carry forward and to matter and to be a good force in the society is to be pluralistic in some way, right? Like you can't just go crusading and killing each other. Like that's not going to work. But, but also like this idea too, that if you were a separatist or you're like a former imperial in the new Republic era or what have you, like you have to heal and move forward. Uh, you know, I recently rewatched Mad Men and like, you know, the year is like 1965 or whatever. And one of the characters who fought in World War II is like really racist for <laughs> World War II reasons in the Pacific. And it's like, you, you know, you got to move on. It's been yeah. tw 25 years. You know, these are not the same people that you fought. Like, um, it's a good message for Star Wars, you know, that uh, love thy enemy kind of thing. Um, well, and like... <laughs> You know, you're never going to be able to destroy everything. So you have to figure out, like, what is the way forward and where is the point where you're like, this conflict is done and we have to move forward from today. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, the like droids, build. some of them were... Some of them were from the separatist time. Some of them were Imperials and they knew that they were basically done for if they stayed like in the Republic, whereas they found second chance in Plazier 15. Um, so it turns out that uh, one batch of Nepenthe um, have had affected all of these different droids. And this, uh, this Nepenthe was tracked back to the uh commissioner hellgate yeah yeah what a great and he, name. yeah and he had basically um been a holdout uh not a separatist but 
like he didn't believe that societies could move forward together and was very anti Captain Bombardier and the changes of uh, the society by integrating the shadow aspects of it. Mm. Like, like essentially the society, the utopia is, uh, you know, people have work that they're satisfied with at different levels. Humans don't want to work at all. Um, <laughs> and um, I guess everybody has a place in this society. And he's like, not a separatist, but like he's from that Dooku camp. He idolized Dooku, yeah. He idolized Dooku and said, there is no way that we can be together. Yeah, it, it, like, I don't know, I kind of associate Dooku in my mind with that idea that like, you you can't like heal like ills in society you have to root them out and you know like yeah, that idea yeah. of uh, uh you know like like if you the jedi them. if the jedi are imperfect well we must fight them kill them you know whatever yeah, like turn yeah. against them and uh instead you know. of actually trying to like i don't know work towards a better society in general with these disparate parts like this this is just a big metaphor for integrating pieces of the whole the collective unconscious right and and mm -hmm. finding a better way forward i don't know it was it, this episode is very very deep like you said and does it in such a fun and entertaining way <laughs> it doesn't feel deep at all, but it is it like if you begin to like think about it. Yeah, it's like, you know, we're using like droids and like this goofy murder mystery to illustrate like kind of like the essential conflict between like Sakurera and Mon Mothma, you know, like that, uh, you know, um, like that kind of you know star wars debate you know like uh you know can we hug it out versus you know <laughs> do we have to like you know uh bomb some you know like like some some cops in the street or whatever um it's really i don't know it's a fun fun thing to think about in star wars certainly in yeah like, i don't know such a light-hearted like uh colorful episode but yet it it stays true to all that those sort of big questions that yeah. George and others care about, you know, they, um, you know, and this sort of ends up, um, coming down to like one of my favorite lines, which the Duchess says, like, you know, is, is the galaxy not big enough for forgiveness? Oh, I loved that. Yeah. Yeah. And like to forgive former Imperials, um, to, to try to find a new way, um, forward. Um, she ends up, um, not forgiving uh commissioner hellgate right away and sending him to exile on a nearby moon and he's taken away and then the the duchess uh gives the key to plazir to uh crease and and din and um bow and din and uh you know, they said they're always welcome here. And then she knights Grogu. Yeah. <laughs> and now he is a, a Jedi Mandalorian knight. So I good. love it so much. It's it's such a if like it feels aesthetically like those early George drafts where Yeah. He he, he was sort of hung up in that very uh 
you know, like what he must have pictured, like Alderaan or Aquilae or whatever he called it, Naboo, you know, at the time, like, yeah, uh, you know, that that sort of vision of what Princess Leia's world would have been that we never really saw in that that movie. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. This feels like that kind of like, you know, that sort of Alderaan society, especially is. Yeah. You know, people would have pictured something like that in the 60s or 70s. I, I've i always wanted to have um, like it, sort of like the city-state idea, but with planets where there's like independent royalty in all of these places and actually have Jedi Knights be knights. Uh, we're sort of getting that knightliness, as we've called out, that there's a lot of like um, Arthur and the Round Table, Camelot um, feelings with the Mandalorians. Like these are all errant knights that don't have a purpose. And it's, it's just, it's really cool that we're getting this more directly to say like, this might be where they head uh, from a society perspective. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Um, Bo and Din are able to return to go and visit Axe Wolves and the um, Mandalorians who um the mandalorian privateers um and you know din's like really taking second seat in many of these episodes and is like well now bo you gotta figure this out (laughs) yeah you know and um axe wolves and Bo end up fighting um because of the you know hey who's in charge of this and the you know oh we must have moral combat to solve things as mandalorians <laughs> yeah um you know she beats him and he still refuses to you know go with her mm-hmm. um and uh din's like you know what i was beaten by a monster and then that monster was beaten by Bo, so she's the winner of the dark saber <laughs> yeah people were like oh they're gonna have to fight each other and and fobs is like i don't want to have them fight each other i'll figure out another way yeah, yeah he got to just be the damsel instead and exactly (laughs) they also do the whole philosophical debate here which again it's like really like a big meaty philosophical thing for like a very lighthearted star wars episode to get into but um like not only are they acting out like the fan discussion about like okay like you have all these different um ideas of mandalorian culture being introduced in the this show versus uh like maybe the legends era novels versus the clone wars and like you know so they're synthesizing all those ideas in a way that makes perfect sense but you also get into like that real world religion thing about you know birth versus belief and and uh you know um and ultimately they settle on this idea that like well you know, all these religions began not with blood, but with the oath and the pledge and that idea yeah. of like, I will follow and which is, you know, really like, this is the way, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I thought that was, it was interesting. It all kind of leads to like unity is better than not unity, you know, yeah, the, yeah. division and fighting. Uh, it all kind of points to uh, Mandalore. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, it definitely seems like it's, it's the best way. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, the, the episode is, is sort of wrapped up with, uh, her, the shot of, uh, Bo activating the dark saber. Um, 
And that's where we end the episode. And what an episode. Bryce Dallas Howard continues to uh, not be beat. <laughs> she's great. Yeah, she's, uh, I, I think in a lot of ways, she, she's like perfectly translates sort of like George's vision of like the galaxy and that Clone Wars aesthetic. Like yeah. she's mastered it. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. And then like also interprets John Favreau's scripts in an, an enjoyable way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the the humor in that episode where all the droids turn and stare like that just yeah. gets me. Like, you know, yeah. some, Star Wars humor doesn't always work on a like a 33 year old, like jaded guy who's seen a bunch of Star Wars, but like that like hit <laughs> like it was so good. It was so funny. Um you know. Yeah. And uh and then of course the next episode is uh Rick Famoyua, who is like yeah, I don't know, he might be my favorite uh Star Wars director at this point. I I mean he's consistently incredible. And like if Bryce is like perfect at doing like the Clone Wars thing, I feel like Rick is perfect at doing like the sort of a new hope return of the Jedi thing. Like uh he you know, he gets it too in such a great way. Um you see two sort of Coruscant-esque cities in these two episodes, and like you see how two different, you know, filmmakers sort of interpret that. And um, yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's gorgeous. Like we sort of open with that, uh, it, right? It opens with the Blade Runner riff, right? With the uh, Elijah yeah. yeah, yeah, in the back streets, and they the the streets seemed very similar to like kind of the rainy streets of or the 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 like. I guess droid streets or the uh, the night streets of Plazier fifteen. Like it felt very similar. Like these two episodes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's Elia Kane. Like um. Again, more Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. Like ve- definitely like that um cyberpunk. You know, like Coruscant that um George envisioned in the show Underworld. Oh yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. It like that that felt like it was it's coming back that that like um look of coruscant um with the the lights and very attack of the clones um yeah yeah and um kane you know meets a a probe droid and uses her tk (laughs) 2755 number right so she's uh very much still like i am an imperial person and it displays uh, moff gideon and they have a quick conversation about what is going on in navarro in the outer rim gideon reminds her that the new republic has been ignoring this area but Eli's like no the mandalorians are like working together don't you understand they've become they've become very powerful because all the disparate pieces of themselves as the mandalorians mm-hmm. this is like a big metaphor for integration of the self but as a culture and (laughs) you're more powerful when you are together the same idea that we were just talking about with plazier and uh you know gideon is like wait they're working together how is that possible they hate each other yeah (laughs) yep and uh you know gideon's like you know still continue to blend in and keep things and he'll deal with the mandalorians and (laughs) then we get this shot of this uh 
sort of first order or the intro of the first order uh, shadow counselor of all these ex-imperials that are trying to figure out what to do next. Um, Gideon walks his way through several uh, laboratory uh, like tanks on the wall like and we're like oh is this Mm -hmm. the Snoke thing again? (laughs) Yeah yeah they love to play with that. Like yeah. sort of gesture toward yeah you know, yeah and they're basically exactly and they're sort of um uh they they meet up and they all talk about what's going on with the with the you know the new republic and what the order is and trying to make sense of you know I don't know what what they're trying to do next and they um comment on how they have to try to remain uh, disorganized warlords uh, like to the New Republic, um, but that they're actually way more organized and they have way more resources. It's very much like a weird uh, echo of like the dawn of the rebellion era, like with the, like the rebels in the show rebels or in Luthan rails network and, and Andor, like that idea that like, <laughs> You know, we have to appear disorganized, but but also they kind of like fight over resources. So they've still got that imperial, you know, I'm I got to be impressive. I got to impress my boss, you know, uh, and, you know, make us look good. That sort of imperial quality to them. But yeah, it's fun. It's like the best look we've gotten at the post, um, you know, post return of the Jedi Imperial Remnant. Um you know, in this sort of murky era, like, you know, on yeah, like out of anyway. Ch- Chuck Wayne Diggs books, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and where, you know, they, they, they name drop like heck, they've got Grand Admiral Thrawn, you know, hails the reemergence of the Imperial military. If he, when soon as he comes back, we're just waiting for him. <laughs> yeah. And we get uh, a good shot of uh, General Brendel Hux, who of course is our Admiral Hux's daddy. Um, that guy's a real son of a bitch. Like if you know him from like Phasma or from uh, Chuck's book, uh he's a jerk (laughs) yeah i don't remember like (laughs) details but i I remember that hux is kind of uh you know like he was kind of made a monster by his dad right like that's kind of the idea um yeah and we sort of end up getting through this conversation which is like the most well written dialogue that we've had since the beginning of this season um we get a a sort of three different you know horses that these imperials are i guess putting their their kind of effort behind we have thrawn of course returning and then everybody would kind of go behind thrawn we have project of necromancer which i assume is you know sort of snoke and the return of um palpatine like that kind yeah, of was my assumption you too, know sort of Exegol, and then we have gideon who's like but i'm here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just a humble man who's just trying to do what's best for the imperials in this galaxy and everyone's like yes 
you, yes. Um, but yes, essentially, Gideon is trying to take control of these different factions, but play it off like he doesn't want control at all. Mm-hmm. They end up granting his uh, request for Praetorian guards and uh, sort of extra pilots and ships and bombers um, as he has a plan for the Mandalorians who are attempting to take retake Mandalore. Um which all all of this information he learned from Elia came, right? Mm, yeah. It's not like he went and talked to somebody else. So again, this idea of like the spies being plural, I don't know that we have a confirmation of that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Every, like sort of everybody is like suspicious of all, all these characters at this point. Which is yeah, because it's a plural. Fun, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um yeah, I, I would bet on somebody being, you know, some kind of double crosser by the end of this. But uh, okay, yeah, so let, let, before we get into it, who do you think the other spy is? Um, I'm the spy, as Huck says. Shoot, I don't know. I mean, so you've got. Um, is it, I mean, does, one does of them it, is. Aliyah, it has to be somebody. Then, somebody, yeah, Eli, of course. We, I mean, yeah, that's and then confirmed. somebody's, somebody's. Uh, there, you know, everybody would assume it's somebody on the uh, the good guy team, the Mando, the, Mando the Mandos. Squad. So I'm gonna uh, show. I'm gonna talk about the the name that most people are saying, and then get get your reaction. The armor. Yeah, we. Uh, it's funny because like last a couple episodes ago, our last <laughs> episode, I I sort of said like something about the armor being suspicious, and, and you, I'm uh, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you're like. Listen, man, go back to therapy. No, um, no, but it was great. It was it was a great discussion. And yeah, I noticed that that is a popular theory. And okay. of course, now I'm suspicious of it because I don't want to just, you know. Yeah, but like my I, issues. I mean, OK, so if if she's if she's the spy, like literally all she's done is saved wounded people and children. Yeah, like it's. It doesn't quite add up if it's, I mean, like we, it we need feels a like it's out of nowhere. Yeah. I feel like Axe Woves is like way more likely. He has problems with Bo being in charge and he will like do things for money. Yeah. Or yeah. Like him or, or Sasuke, you know, yeah. Um, you know, somebody from that crew, um, Sasuke has been, I think that's her name. I like, you know, been in the show a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, off and on and been kind of like, you know, untrusting of, of you know, again, like that. I, I think it, it, that's a character who's very anti children of the watch, right? Like more. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's tricky. It's tricky because there is that bit of dialogue about. um you know, Maul's crew, like Death Watch or whatever, yeah. and then and then uh, the Death armor. Watch, is Death Watch was before Maul. Yeah. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Maul had his own like crew with the red and black and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah like, it's kind the, of like the Mandalorians are are uh, always getting caught up with following the wrong leader. <laughs> it yeah, feels yeah. like I put a lot of emphasis on that sword. Uh, yeah, yeah, and which is and, funny and like. There was a whole deal about, um, you know, Bo is the leader by every means possible to Axe Woves, and he's still not happy about it. He has way more reason to not be loyal to Bo Katan and what she wants to do and these other weirdos than, you know, 
anyone else and people are still like that armor man evil it's really weird and if that's the way it ends up going like i will be like i guess everybody else will be like haha proven right armor Mm -hmm. evil with like zero reason yeah we definitely need a good explanation yeah we need to (laughs) click into place in some way that i'm not thinking of yet but it's uh yeah i don't know i go back to like that first i think it's like episode one of the season where like Bo is all alone in her castle and yeah all these people that she was running with before have have forsaken her yeah Um, so that to me yeah that feels like supporting your theory of like axe or somebody in that crew right like it definitely doesn't feel like it's um like the armor has been living in the desert in a cave yeah how would she be the spy (laughs) she didn't even have a ship I don't yeah. understand people. It's literally yeah. like so out of I maybe yeah, no, it it's definitely has to be something to do with like our um psychology of motherhood or like those feminine archetypes because man, she did nothing wrong and everyone's like evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> she's more of like a like a spy goes out in the world. And she is more of like a hermit who like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sits in the underworld. Like um, she's a crone. <laughs> a crone. She's yeah, like, there you go. yeah, like she's like, like I'm gonna sit here and stare at my forge and tell you about the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my cauldron you know, or whatever. Cauldron, yeah, like this yeah. dark feminine. Like, oh yeah. man, like that ring world that they were hiding out on her and Paz too. Like that, that was not like a you know the the center hub of the galaxy where she's gonna get all this information right that was more like just kind of scoundrels living on the fringes right i mean yeah i I don't i don't see it i mean as a spy that doesn't (laughs) quite make any sense obviously i was suspicious of her before because that's just kind of been in the air for a long time and uh but yeah i yeah spy doesn't fit well, okay, so we have Bo, who basically was like, you've been brainwashed to Din, and then has come to a place mm-hmm. as a character where she understands that what the armorer's way of approaching, you know, things is not to be discarded whole, whole, right? Like, you still, there's things about what the armorer is saying that is actually very important, mm-hmm. you know, um... Bo and Din and the rest of the Mandalorian fleet return to Navarro and um, Grogu is sitting in Bo's lap. (laughs) Grogu's gotten closer and closer and closer and closer to Bo this whole time and is now just like sitting on Bo's lap, whereas Grogu (laughs) used to only sit on Din. Yeah. It's like, and this is our child now. (laughs) And um, I still don't put it past John Favreau to not kill off Bo-Katan. I, I'm just going to put that out there in the universe. I, I was just I'm, thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm genuinely like so scared for her. I was just asking myself that question 20 seconds before you said that. So that is terrifying that we were both like, are they going to kill? Because like there is some sort of like premature Twitter panic about you know, Din Djarin dying in the finale or something. Oh God, no, he'll be fine. And and, and to (laughs) me, it's much, much more likely that Bo, because of, you know, how she comes into this story. It's going to be Bo or the armor, I think. 
I think it's going to be the armor in, in all truthfulness. I've, I've thought that for a while. She's such a cool character and yeah, it would be an absolute shame, but I don't put it past John Favreau just to kill off a woman character. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I really, I mean, I hope not, but it seems like we're at that point where they're going to kill off somebody important, probably in this heroic fashion. And it's gonna, it's gonna be painful. Um, yeah, I really hope it isn't Bo. That would, that would suck. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, uh, literally like Katie Sackoff and you got Katie Sackoff back and Katie Sackoff is playing the same character that they, that she was able to play in the Clone Wars. And then you kill her off. I really hope that it, they don't because Bo Katan is such an interesting character and the, and the relationship between Din and Bo, I'm obsessed with. Yeah. Like, I'm obsessed with this. More and more, especially in this episode there, they like get married in this episode. Like, let's be honest. Uh, like, oh, where? Uh, where do well, you think they get married? It, isn't it this episode? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's like nighttime and he like pledges himself to. Her, oh, yeah. Like, like his whole life, like basically. night night pledge to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like Ser Jorah, I think, in Game of Thrones, where he's like, uh, I'm a total simp for you for life, my lady, like that kind of thing, you know, yep. like, yeah, uh, no, absolutely. It's a it it's totally a, is. And and like the cool thing about night night vows like that is that they were more bi- binding than marriages in some medieval societies. Oh, nice. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Um We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but they return, and of course, there's a lot of like um, animosity between Paz Vizsla, um, and of course, uh, the new new joiners. Karga uh, comes to visit. Grief Karga comes to visit with his protocol droid and says, "I have a I have a present for you," and uh, he has refurbished IG Eleven into IG Twelve with the Ancillon droid smiths. And uh, <laughs> they had stripped out the memory circuits, so we've got no IG-11 anymore. Boo. Um, yes. But it can be used as a little, like, Master Blaster, uh, like, Mad Max, <laughs> um, yeah. Escape from Thunderdome. <laughs> A little, a little driving um, setup where Grogu can pilot this droid and now can walk and fight for himself and his big and can say no. <laughs> <laughs> and this absolutely feels like the moment that your toddler turns to be four, um, your 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 young little kid turns to be four and is an absolute terror. Yeah. You got like little kid vibes, right? Like suddenly this kid's like, no, totally, no, totally. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, You've been through the stage. You're like, this was flashbacks I didn't need. Yeah, well, I've got a six-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter, and you know, the two-year-old daughter is like, "Oh, you know, my my innocent baby girl is perfect," and then occasionally she'll be like, "You know, give me that," you know. <laughs> that yeah, kinda, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, we're we're sort of getting uh, a Grogu trying to interface with the the world in kind of like an adult fashion, and 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 failing a little bit uh it's fun i don't know this was great this was showing like the advancement in grogu that i always wanted right yeah where is it it makes it like i don't know it makes it weird in star wars to have him like piloting around this it unit (laughs) 
And yeah, him, it feels unique. Yeah. Yeah. And his ability to go like, no, no, no. <laughs> Which feels like a little kid who's growing up and is like, like, is that all you know? Is that the only world you know? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so good. Kids will there's a lot of repetition and there's kind of like it can be a little nonsensical but they like they they know what they intend to say and they get frustrated because they can't communicate it um but yeah uh, like my son will say yes to like so many questions like you could ask him almost anything and you know if he doesn't want to deal with you and give you a real answer he'll just be like yes you know things like that so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of kind of funny do you remember who uh suggests going back to mandalore is it is it Bo? like she says she wants to send the recon party that's a good question i, I think it's her that says yeah. like it's time to retake the planet yeah she asks for volunteers given that speech um yeah i think so i think basically she's like giving that that speech about how mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and I, I don't think the armor really speaks until no. she volunteers, like kind of last, right? Like, like to go. I think, yeah, I think that's how it plays out. Is like it's uh, Bo is leading, and then and Din is like, "I'm there for you, babe." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like all the cast that we are like familiar with, like immediately volunteer, and then there's like some like young fresh faces mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're like i'll go and die tragically and then the armorer is sort of like last um great scene great scene it's like yeah very much that great. that willow that willow thing of like let's talk around the campfire and then uh sail off into the the, the darkness or whatever yeah yeah when uh that moment where he he like pledges himself to her when does that happen did that happen on navarro or was that happening i believe that happens after they encounter the sort of old uh okay the other mandalorian clan right 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 the ones that survive yeah the new new characters basically yeah so they uh they head to Mandalore and of course the scouting party is heading down to the surface and they drop um sort of a bunch of Mandalorians to check out everything first and then uh we have Bo who lands after um and they uh they're approached by a ship and this uh this ship is manned by a bunch of surviving Mandalorians who have uh sort of lived their lives in this apocalyptic hellscape. Um Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you invoked uh, Mad Max. Yeah, this, Mad this Max again. Crew definitely feels Mad Maxish, yeah. Yeah. Um, cuz they're sort of marching off into this like dark cloudy desert it's like very biblical and then uh it like opens up these like sails right it's kind of like a sail like i don't know uh it's it's cool like a a sail sled or something but like a giant giant vehicle and yeah got uh charles parnell from top gun maverick who was like warlock he was sort of like the good cop in the uh with uh to john ham's bad cop uh, always like those were the two guys explaining to Tom Cruise why he couldn't do the thing that he was about to do. And uh, then you get Charles Baker, who is like skinny Pete from Breaking Bad, which made my heart very happy. Uh, 
Yeah. Love that character. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, some great uh, acting. This suddenly turns into a night sea journey. <laughs> yeah. Which is, uh, you know, of course, comes from, uh, it's a mythic motif that um, especially Carl Jung talked about a lot, but it comes from the idea of raw um sort of uh going across the sky every day and then being swallowed by the earth and going into the underworld and sailing the underworld seas um and being reborn um through the course of that journey and uh the most recognizable night sea journey i've seen before this was of course happened in willow episode 7 um this was great too because um over the course of being like on this trip that they're on the different aspects of the mandalorians are all coming to the surface and basically they have to talk about them right like yeah um the survivors are like who are you guys to the armor and are the armors like we're from the moons of concordia and they're like you guys were the death watch and she's like uh well <laughs> not really because we've all been splintered and we're not no longer them we're no longer what those people were and basically it comes down to this big fact which is as mandalorians they are stronger if they are actually able to work together, if they are divided, that's that's how they destroy each other uh, themselves, right? They destroy each other from the inside. No other enemy can actually destroy them. Yeah, and like it, there's also a thing that happens. I don't know how much of this is mythology and how much of this is like how it actually happens. You know, I've never like been in the military or off to war, but there's this like idea or trope i guess in like war movies where um you know things like class and race maybe are a big deal when these guys are at basic training or or whatever like early on but then they go o over to, to do combat somewhere and like in in that you know the act of of being together in the trenches like that stuff kind of falls away right but mm -hmm, it's uh mm -hmm. you know probably not a not a perfect thing so it's it it, it plays like that but then it also yeah it plays like the them sort of working through their issues you know the way that uh yeah the characters in willow did you know with all the it's like smoothing the training out, and the fighting sm smoothing out all the rough patches and of course we get a we get a fight aboard um we get you know paz and and axe wolves fighting yeah. um you know and them them working through their their issues um and um I guess this is where the su suspicious part comes from that the armor um, leaves with wounded people. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I guess. Um, I guess. I guess we're blame blaming ambulance drivers now for <laughs> be spies. Everything is suspicious. Um, <laughs> Everyone's suspicious. I guess. It's a very paranoid time for a society. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting how like they use the chess game as like yeah, you know, these little variations and rules as, as kind of like uh, 
you can know, they, can they get along? Yeah. Can the they cultural even cultural differences and all that? Well, and how, how separate they've been for so long that they've developed a different set of rules for something as simple as chess. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still on this, like, seriously, tell me what she's done that makes you suspicious. The <laughs> other, armor, than ex- yeah. other than existing. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that I've tried to be really a lot more open-minded in the last couple of years as to like what people think about star Wars fandom things. It just kind of yeah. like hear people out and meet them halfway. And, um, I think a lot of people have that sort of, uh, you know, scary religious upbringing that I didn't really mm-hmm. have that much. I mean, maybe like, you know, I went to like a friend's church occasionally as a kid and was like, Oh, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weirds me out, I guess. But uh, but I'm not like anti-religious, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like I'm just kind of like not like religion isn't really my bag, but I'm not to that point where people are like, oh, she's like a cult leader. She wants to brainwash him <laughs> and therefore has like really, you know, bad intentions. Like there's a lot of historical precedent for that. <laughs> you know, we've seen that in Star Wars even. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know. I, like it, a lot of it is just kind of playing into those assumptions and stereotypes of yeah you know be, because there are rules and traditions right like yeah i don't know it's like people people really want to rebel and reject rituals and traditions which is like a pretty natural part of growing up right as you like you're like oh i hate yeah. all these things that my parents want me to do and then you get to be like at a certain point in your life and you're like oh but i kind of like this one thing and you know i like this other and uh which is kind of what like Bo has gone through in season three i guess and um i yeah i don't know like is is john favreau maybe exploring his interesting sort of heritage with this like i just don't think that with all of the care he's given the armor and the covert that like the armor who's been like protecting these people i think it's far more likely yeah. she's going to sacrifice herself for everybody yeah at this point and maybe like, we would have said this in season one but at this point it's definitely like she is the mentor figure for mm-hmm, din and and now Bo, Bo. at this point yeah She's kind of the Obi Wan. I just don't. Luke Skywalker. I just figure. don't get it. I just don't get the. the I don't get it. I don't. Well, I mean, this happens to Luke Skywalker too, and I don't want to open like a whole can of worms, but like people can kind of take a what is it like mountain out of a molehill or whatever, you know? Like people can like glom onto like one little thing in a story and kind of, uh, you know really hate a character for something that in the realm of fiction is like not that big a deal. Right. And, and so, um, I don't know if that's like what's happening here, but it's, it's like, you know, there are people who are just really allergic to certain characters or certain iterations of, yeah. of characters. And, uh, you know, uh, when you have like that sort of older mentor figure or like the, the character that is very set in their ways and has like these rules, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, like, obviously like the Jedi are like a flawed institution and institutions. I'm kind of against institutions <laughs> anyway, but, yeah. uh, 
you know, I'm not one of these people who are like the Jedi are bad and the Jedi should never exist. And like, it's good that they all died. Like, I don't, I don't quite like relate to that. And, and I, I think it's like a similar mm-hmm. thing happening with the armor and the children of the watch. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that like sort of anti-organized religion thing. And, um, yes, but there I, are like I, I evil it- mega. I think it comes down to like mythically what's happening during this whole, whole part. Right. So, um, I, I I mentioned it's a night sea journey, which of course is associated with uh, depression or working through this idea of the disparate ideas of yourself. And Mm -hmm. it is synonymous with the descent into the underworld. Like I said, with raw, like traveling in his, his night barge under the earth, basically into the mother. Um, it sails over the sea like an immortal god who every evening is immersed in the maternal waters and born anew in the morning. And like the mother of this group of people symbolically is the armorer. She leaves mm-hmm. at the end of the journey when they get to the end. Um, it also can be associated with, um, you know, being swallowed up by a dragon and mm. um, basically being caught up in removal from the outer world and not thinking realistically about where you need to go and what you need to do. Um, and so there's a lot of things happening symbolically. Um, it it really is important um, to, to get over the fact that you have had these different pieces of yourself cut off and figure out how to actually um, integrate them back together. And that's what the Night Sea Journey is doing in this episode. And in the end, they're, they, what, they're, there's a giant monster at the end, <laughs> right? And then they're swallowed by the earth to be reborn. And we don't get that far, actually, because they end up fighting... Um, sort of ogres under the earth yeah they're sort of down there battling their demons uh yeah. in the underworld These, yeah like the, the skeletons the, or wraiths or whatever yeah, yeah like the dark troopers which are a combination of imperials who have killed them and mandalorian armor which protects yeah, like, them yeah it's like that that you know sacred substance of their 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 people their civilization you know uh but also like you know the clone yeah. troopers like 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 the visual of the uh the clone troopers from like revenge of the sith and so it's like all yeah. these things swirling together of uh and like all in the rebels they had them. the they had the imperials that were working um or the mandalorians that were working with imperials and they had like yeah imperial stormtroopers but like they were mandalorians and um you end up getting uh woves fleeing to the surface right away like a chicken <laughs> He's the sus one. Uh, <laughs> and the other Mandalorians fighting with their blasters and trying to fight off this group of people. But, um, you know, Din ends up getting uh, captured by like the the um, troopers and held. And then we get the, the gloating Moff Gideon uh, arrive in his dark trooper suit. And he basically... Um, it, it's um 
it is this symbolic equivalent of a dark union where he's saying he's trying to basically subsume all of these different aspects of all of these different groups. Like he's like, mm-hmm. I'll take the Imperials and I'll take the Mandalorians and I'll take the Jedi and the clones and I'll create a new way of being just exactly the way that like Palpatine would. He would take all of these different aspects as their like Frankenstein monster parts and put them together yeah. instead of allowing them to be whole, um, good and bad together. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to complete the purge. I got my TIE bombers, my TIE interceptors. I'm prepared to strike the Mandalorian fleet. And, um, you know, and, and Gideon's like hand over the dark saber. <laughs> It's funny. It's like there's all this like sort of cultural appropriation happening with him, but he's also he's very like Thrawn like in how he you know he goes about things. Like uh, it's going to be interesting to see if those two ever share the screen together and see what their differences are. Yeah, because I feel like Thrawn is kind of defined by a lot of similar things like that that tactical patience and like confidence, but also like. Yeah, again, like that, that being like an expert on the other person's culture with like the paintings and stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's all kind of carried over from Heir to the Empire, like where, you know, <laughs> sort of like the dad and get out, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's sort of my memory of Thrawn from that book, you know, when I read it like 15 years ago or whatever the hell. But, uh, you know, um, it, it's, it's a fun fun exploration of like other kinds of violence besides just like war right like it's like you know hey i'm wearing your best car like this like sacred thing you know um it's uh it's good i don't know uh and in his defense that suit looks really cool oh no (laughs) absolutely uh, yeah you know at the same time like uh i feel like you know, there's a lot of heavy topics in these in these two two episodes, but at the same time, it's um, yeah. You, you know, you still get him looking sort of like this Vader Boba Fett, you know, hybrid that's just kind of because it's Giancarlo. You do you ultimately kind of want to root for him on some level? Yeah. Bo ends up using the dark saber to allow the rest of the Mandalorians and Grogu to leave. Um, and we have Paz Vizsla, who basically makes a last stand at the blast door and um, fights down the the troops. And, and Bo's like, hey, come with me. And and he's like, nah, there's too many. And then, like, you know, basically sacrifices yeah. himself and yeah. stabbed several times by Praetorian Guard, <laughs> which was it was kind of cool to see them back again. Yeah, we get like what three of them, and yeah. it's sort of like halfway between like Palpatine's protectors and like Return of the Jedi, and then Snoke's Praetorian yeah, the Guard. Ones from, yeah. yeah, very cool. Um, yeah. But that's where we leave him dying on the floor. And I I, um, I just want to say I've always said that John Favreau's uh, self-insert is not Paz Vizsla. It's, that's the character he plays. His self-insert is Din. Din, Din. So there's no way Din is dying. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah. People are so weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine that Din would die, like, especially, you know, before yeah. the the show ends but you know even even at all like even when the show does end i it's hard to imagine him him just not living happily ever after in some fashion yeah i'm obsessed with uh, the grogu 
uh, points of this episode where Grogu like stops the stops the fight between the Mandalorians yeah. on the ship. Um, Smashing the no button. Yeah, he tries to, he looks at the insulin the wrong way and the insulin's like, no squeezy! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course, just, um, you know, the fun in the market where Grogu's like just eating stuff and oh yeah, Din yeah. has to pay for everything. It's so good. It's, uh, yeah, it's very, very like true to life of like kids wanting to just... They see something they want, and they grab it. You know, you yeah. can't take them down the toy aisle, or, or you know, um, they're gonna want three different toys, or um, you know, just one every every yeah. food item in sight. That's oh, very fun. Yeah. Any final thoughts on these episodes as we uh, gear up for the finale? <laughs> not really. I mean, it, it leaves. It's very like you know, this ends with sort of part one of a two-parter it feels like i don't know if rick directs the next one too or yeah he does yeah okay yeah yeah it felt like that like like he directed almost like a a movie to close out the season yeah uh, yeah um which i'm all in favor of um but yeah i mean there's a lot going on where you know all the things that have needed to happen for like almost three seasons of the show in some ways are happening. You know, we're getting, um, you know, the Mandalorian people are sort of synthesizing into, to one, you know, again, and they're trying to retake their, their world. And, um, you know, uh, Grogu is, is growing, you know, he's not just yeah, like a, not- a cute little cooing baby anymore. Uh, yeah. Well, and he wasn't really in the second season either. So it, it just feels like we're getting back to, sure. to that way and they're giving him a way to be physical and say no and be a toddler and, or like a four-year-old. It was more like a four-year-old kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like something to to do besides just like uh use the force to like hold back the monster or whatever like that yeah he's he's sort of like got a more versatility with that suit and um i'm sure the suit thing won't be like how we see him all the time but it, it's like it's a cool fun for now yeah device you know it it helps solve that issue of like oh we've got this tiny little puppet that you know in this big world and yeah um you know yeah, yeah. that's tricky i mean um, yeah <laughs> but yeah it's a good good solution yeah and you know like overall this season i've really loved it i don't know it's it's um it's a lot of fun star wars and i'm yeah. really looking forward to the finale yeah i think this is my probably my favorite season of the show so far uh yeah they've they've just gone to interesting places consistently and um yeah i don't know i care about the characters you know pretty deeply yeah uh yeah i don't know it's it's definitely you know if there's this idea that oh somebody could die next episode because you know uh is it brendan wayne is that his name yeah he, yeah like, he, he sort of warned that it it could it could hurt or whatever he said oh man <laughs> you know? You know, I, you know, I care what happens to these guys and, and yeah. that's, you know, one of the biggest compliments you can, can give to a, a show like this that, you, you know, you really are invested um, and you're not just sort of watching it passively. You, you know, you care about the, the, the happiness of these, you know, made up people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's been good. And it, I'm, I it love has been, yeah. Esposito back as the villain too. Uh, it's been good to have him back. Yeah. 
Well, let's wrap up this episode. And uh, if we missed anything major we want to talk about next week, uh, we will include that in the finale of season three of Mandalorian. Where can people find you if they're looking for you online, Alex? I'm on Twitter at Alex J. Kane with a K. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Thank you for listening to What the Force. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host. Our music is Orchestral Music by Christy Carew for What the Force. You can support the show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We like to thank all our patrons, especially those who love and are obsessed with What the Force. Melody in Wild Space, How Rude, Anna Perez, Neil, Christian Luca, Carly Ann, Josh Johnson, Scott C., and Susan. Support the show by wearing the Force with our merch. Like and subscribe on YouTube or leave a five-star review on iTunes or other podcast apps. It helps people find the show. You can connect with us on Twitter at WTForceShow, What the Force Podcast on Facebook. Our website is whattheforce.ca or you can join the Discord. Links are all in the liner notes. Feel free to reach out and start a conversation. Cheers. <laughs>